The Orioles lost another close game on Wednesday night, dropping the series to the Phillies with a 6-4 defeat. And while this one wasn't really the fault of the bullpen, a lot of these close losses are making you think, who can we really trust in this Orioles bullpen right now? Try to answer that coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Thursday, July 27th, 2023. And welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are going to recap a tough Orioles loss as they fall 6-4 to four to the Phillies on Wednesday night and drop two out of three in the series in the city of brotherly love. I'll get you the five things you need to know from that one, including a really weird start from Kyle Bradish, Adley Rutschman going deep, and CNL Perez deciding not to record an out in his relief appearance. Then we'll take a larger look at the bullpen. Been kind of recapping what's been going on with each facet of the game for the Orioles. Today we finish off that series with the bullpen. Probably the weakest link on this team right now. Bautista's been great. But who else can the O's trust in the pen and where do they need to upgrade? Talk about that. And then a little Orioles news and notes with some draft signings and Gunnar Henderson coming up at the end of the pod. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast. Before we get there, though, just did want to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. We're free and available on all podcast listening platforms, and we're right here on YouTube. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked On Orioles YouTube page. Thank you to everyone out there who has made Locked On Orioles their first listen. The everydayers out there with the pod who have been there since the beginning, been there all season, or if you're getting here today for the first time, thank you so much for tuning in. Got some great content coming up with the O's in a playoff race, trade deadline coming up. It'll be a fun time to follow along with the team and follow along with the pod. But we start today with an Orioles loss as they fall 6-4 to four to the Philadelphia Phillies on Wednesday night in Philly and drop two out of three in this series. After winning the Monday night game and being one out away from taking the series, taking game two on Tuesday, they lost that one, and they lose late again on Wednesday with a 6-4 to four loss. With this defeat, the Orioles do finish this road trip at 4-3 and three after they took 3 out of 4 in Tampa in what was the much more important series over the weekend. But the O's do fall to 62-40 and 40 on the year. Luckily, Tampa Bay Rays lost as well, 7-1 to one at home to the fading Marlins. So the Orioles remain a game and a half up on Tampa in the AL East. But I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles' 6-4 to four loss to the Phillies. And the first thing you need to know is that Kyle Bradish start on Wednesday night was maybe the weirdest start I've seen by any Orioles starting pitcher this year. His final line looked like this. Six and two-thirds innings, five runs on seven hits, three strikeouts, two walks, a homer, only 84 pitches, and he had eight hard-hit balls against him and six and two-thirds innings. It was a wild roller coaster ride for Kyle Bradish on the mound on Wednesday. It started with two incredibly quick innings. First and second inning were over, and Bradish hadn't even thrown 20 pitches. Boom, two scoreless. Orioles get in the lead in the third with three runs. He comes back out in the bottom of the third, and then after throwing basically all strikes, walks Brandon Marsh on four pitches to start the inning. Then a wild pitch, some weird sequencing. Jake Cave delivers an RBI double. Nick Castellanos gets an RBI single. 
But luckily, he gets Bryce Harper to ground into a double play to get out of the jam. So the O's keep the 3-2 lead. He comes back out there in the fourth inning. And immediately, here come the hits again from a, a very good Phillies offense. You get a Bohm single, you get a Stott single, and you get a Real Muto RBI double, or a two-run double, I should say. And all of a sudden, it is three. And once again, he gets a huge double play off the bat of Edmundo Sosa to get out of the jam and keep it four to three. And, you know, his pitch count wasn't super high. It was only like in the 50s at that point, but he'd been getting hit hard, back-to-back two-run innings. CNL Perez was even warming in the fourth. You thought he might be done. Then Kyle Bradish comes back out there, and all of a sudden, after basically getting no whiffs, like no swings and misses in those first four innings, he finds the breaking ball again. And the curveball just comes back to him, and all of a sudden, works a clean fifth, and he works a clean sixth. And then the Orioles tie the game in the top of the seventh, and all of a sudden... Here comes Bradish back out for the bottom of the seventh, and I kind of like the move. I mean, he was only in the mid-70s pitch count-wise, and he retired nine in a row, so why not? And he goes out there, and he almost finishes the seventh. I mean, he gets to the mound, he gets Marsh to ground out, he gets Cave to fly out. He goes 0-2 on Edmundo Sosa, the number nine hitter, and just, it was a combination of, he made a bad pitch, it was 0-2, his curveball had been so good all day, and he goes to the four-seamer. But on the flip side, the pitch was up and out of the zone. Like, if it, Sosa doesn't swing, that's ball one. And he just flips the ball the other way, 97 miles per hour off the bat. It had just a 190 expected batting average, but traveled 352 feet into right field for a solo shot. Bradish was one strike away. Instead, just couldn't get it done. Couldn't get out of the inning. And that was it for him, giving up the five runs. I mean, it, it was really nice to see him start off well. It was nice to see him recover from the back-to-back bad innings. Just a weird start. I mean, all in all, it was good that he worked six and two-thirds because usually when O starters give up four runs, they're out in the fourth or fifth. So it was nice to see him work deep into the game. But otherwise, yeah, weird one. Just very weird one. It's hard to explain what we saw from Kyle Bradish. You can brush it off because he has just been so, so good over the last two months. Just has been ridiculously good since June. But yeah, that that was a weird one from Kyle out there. Second thing you need to know from this one is that Adley Rutschman provided most of the Orioles offense with one swing in this game. Came up with two on and two out in the top of the third inning in a 0-0 game. And Rutschman unloaded into left field a line drive three-run homer from the right side of the plate off of Philly starter Ranger Suarez. His 14th bomb of the season, 100 miles per hour off the bat, 396 feet made it a 3-0 Oriole lead. And for Rutschman, that ended up being his only hit. And he did come up in a couple of other somewhat big spots in the game, but ended up striking out twice, grounded into a double play as well. But that big three-run homer we thought could maybe be enough just was not the case. Third thing you need to know from this one is Austin Hayes had two hits in this game, which is nice to see because Hayes has been putrid since the All-Star break. Coming into this game, Austin Hayes, since going to Seattle and starting the All-Star game in center field, was 7 for 45. That is a 156 batting average. Well, he started the day, first pitch of the game, grounds a single back up the middle, ends up getting an RBI single and a big one with two outs in the seventh inning that tied the game at four. And it ended up being a nice two for four day for Hayes. His first multi-hit game since the break and just his second in the month of July. Yeah, he's hitting under 200 in July. He's been bad since the All-Star break. We're hoping the same thing that happened last year isn't happening once again. Hopefully, this is kind of a good start of Hayes pushing things back 
in the correct direction. Fourth thing you need to know from the Orioles 6-4 loss to the Phillies on Wednesday night is that it was another rough one for Jorge Mateo. He got the start really for two reasons in this game. One, Gunnar Henderson unavailable after the back injury. And it's against a lefty and Jorge has still hit lefties this year. And Mateo did single in the third inning in his first at-bat and scored on the Rutschman three-run homer. He did make a pretty nice defensive play in the fourth inning, throwing out JT Romuto on a heads-up play, trying to go from second to third on a grounder to short. But otherwise, not very good things. The other three at-bats for Mateo were all strikeouts. And the one that really hurt was in the seventh inning. Now, luckily, the Orioles were still able to score the run because Austin Hayes delivered the two-out RBI single that I mentioned. But James McCann had a leadoff double off of Ranger Suarez. Up comes Jorge Mateo. They've got Ryan O'Hearn ready to pinch hit on deck. Everything's setting up for a big inning. And Hyde calls for Mateo to bunt, which was the right call, I felt like. You know, the Phillies had gone to the right-hander, had pulled Suarez. They'd gone to Sir Anthony Dominguez. But you can't really pinch hit for Mateo because you don't have Henderson available. So you need him to stay in the game and play shortstop the whole time. So against a righty, he can't hit righties. You got a runner on second and no outs are down by one late. I'm usually not a fan of the bunt, but I was a fan of this one. Except he couldn't get it down. Fouled off two of them. Almost popped the second one up so high that Real Muto just barely missed catching it. And then he strikes out on a 2-2 pitch and didn't move the runner over. Luckily, again, Hayes delivered to tie the game, but just another rough day for Jorge Mateo, who had a rough moment that helped lead to the loss on Tuesday night. Average down to 211, OPS at 600. It's getting close to time. And I talked about it on Wednesday's episode. Go back and listen to that one. That it's going to be a tough decision for the Orioles here. Like, he still brings the speed factor. His defense isn't as elite as last year, but it's still good. And he still hits lefties. But with how good Joey Ortiz has been in AAA, like Joey Ortiz is hitting like 350 in AAA with almost an 1,000 OPS. And he's going to play as good, if not better, defense than Mateo. Now, he won't give you the electrifying speed, and he won't give you as good a numbers against lefties as more of a uh, regular splits guy from Joey Ortiz, not a crazy splits. I don't know. But it feels like the time is fairly soon. And it's tough because he's out of options. You'd have to DFA him and you know someone would claim him. You know you're losing him. But this team's at another level now and I do think that time is, is coming soon. But the fifth and final thing you need to know is another guy that Orioles fans think the time should be coming soon for is CNL Perez, who I'm not sure I agree with that one so much, but that was a rough outing for Perez in this game. Now he started warming up in the fourth, didn't come into the game, was kind of throwing throughout. And then was ready to come in in the seventh inning if Bradish allowed a base runner. Because if he did allow a base runner in the seventh, it was going to go back to the top of the order with the lefty Schwarber. And then Harper would hit and potentially Stott as well. So they had Perez ready for the lefties. Well, Bradish gives up the homer. In comes CNL Perez. Four-pitch walk to Schwarber. 2-0 to Castellanos. Hits him on the third pitch. And then first pitch to Harper. Lines a single up the middle for a base hit to give the Phillies a 6-4 lead. And that was it for CNL Perez. Eight pitches, one strike. And he was... Out of the game, Velo was way down, which was a little concerning. Had no idea where the ball was going. And the flip-flop continues for Perez, who was really good before he went on the IL. Came off, looked a little rough. Then had a couple of really good outings against the Rays. Then it wasn't perfect, but Brandon Hyde went to him on Monday with Cano and Bautista unavailable. And Perez got the save and the one win in this series. And then he looks like this. Don't really know what to do with him, but... We'll talk about it a little more coming up next because we are going to break down the Orioles bullpen. Been doing kind of these Orioles resets on parts of the roster here on the pod this week. And we finished it off with the pen, the shakiest part of the roster. 
If the O's do add even more of the pen, who stays, who goes, who changes roles, and who can we rely on? That is all coming up next. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by Ibotta. Picking up burgers and hot dogs for a summer barbecue? You know you're already doing it, so why not get cash back for it with Ibotta? Ibotta gives you cash back on hundreds of grocery items from produce to personal care to pantry goods. So you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're purchasing. Either link your loyalty account or upload your receipt after you shop and get your cash back. It is truly that easy. The average Ibotta user earns $120 per year. That could cover the cost of an entire shopping trip or more. Or you could use your cash back to buy anything else you've been eyeing up. And you can earn cash back on hundreds of online brands and retailers too when you start with Ibotta, including Lowe's, Macy's, Sephora, Best Buy, and more. And right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 just for trying Ibotta by using the code MLB when you register. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store, download the free Ibotta app, and use code MLB. That's I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Play or App Store, and use code MLB. So the Orioles fall to the Philadelphia Phillies 6-4 to four on Wednesday night and drop two out of three in the series. Luckily, the Rays did lose, and luckily the O's do have an off day here today before ramping back up for a Yankee series in which Aaron Judge, reportedly, is going to be back on Friday night for that series. Two nationally televised games. Struggling Yankees team, but they're getting their MVP back. This is going to be a fun one at the yard this weekend. But the Orioles, especially, especially with Judge back in that Yankees lineup, are going to need their bullpen, right? They're just going to need it. They're going to need to be better than it's been recently. And I just wanted to do kind of a check-in on the Orioles' bullpen right now because the O's do have, at the moment, a top-10 bullpen by ERA, by a lot of statistics. But a lot of that's being held up by Felix Bautista and earlier in the year, Yenye Cano and Danny Coulomb and guys like that. At the moment... It's not instilling a lot of trust in us, is it? Like, don't sit there and tell me that you trust the Orioles' bullpen right now because you'd probably be lying. So as I done it earlier in the week with the hitters and the starting pitchers, wanted to go player by player in the Orioles' bullpen and just do a check-in on where they are right now, where they're heading this season, what their role could be moving forward, and where they stand with the team if the O's do add more relievers at the deadline. They've already added Fujinami, but I would expect them to get at least one more relief pitcher coming up before Tuesday's trade deadline. So... Let's start with Felix Bautista. He's not going anywhere. He's the best reliever, best closer in baseball right now, full stop. 49 innings, .92 ERA, 51% strikeout rate. And since the All-Star break, since everyone got concerned when he gave up a homer in the All-Star game that didn't matter, seven scoreless innings, three hits, 12 Ks, and no walks. Yes, it was unfortunate that he was unavailable for the first two games of this Philly series. And, you know, had he been available, the O's probably win Tuesday night. But he was unavailable because the O's used him to win three games in Tampa. It's what happens sometimes when a reliever is that good and you're not really trusting a lot of other people. 11 straight scoreless outings. He's been awesome. He's your closer. Let's do a Yenye Cano check-in, though. Because for Cano, it is a little bit different right now. For Yenye Cano, ERA up to about 1.8 in now just shy of 50 innings this year. And the most innings he's ever thrown is 69 and two-thirds. That was in 2021 in the minors with the Twins. So he's getting close to the most innings he's ever thrown in a season. And by far, he has already thrown the most high leverage innings he's thrown. And 
he's getting tired right now. I mean, it's very easy to see he's getting exhausted. He's getting winded. He's losing it a little bit. His arm slot was dropping. He got it back up in the one, two, three inning he threw Sunday, but looks like he dropped a little again when he blew the save on Tuesday night. And Cano specifically in July has thrown 10 innings. He's allowed 14 hits. He's allowed six extra base hits. Now he does have eight strikeouts to no walks in that time. Still isn't really walking guys, which has been the great just discovery for Cano who was walking everybody the last couple of years until now. But his ground ball rate is down to 42% in July. He's 61% on the season. When he's not getting strikeouts, what makes him good is the ground balls. If he's not getting either, it's hard to trust him. So if he can get that release back, and maybe he needs a little, you know, phantom arm fatigue IL stint. It'll be hard to lose him because you're already fishing for guys to get outs out of the bullpen. But if he can just get a little rest and get back to what what he was before. I don't think Cano is ever going to be the pitcher we saw for the first six weeks when he came up, when he literally just wasn't allowing base runners, let alone runs. But with that stuff, and if he gets the arm angle back to where he wants it, he can still be a good late-inning reliever. We just can't trust him to be the complete lockdown guy he was earlier in the season. But he's here to stay. Danny Coulomb, 3-1-2 ERA on the year in about 35 innings. July hasn't been kind to him, though. Similar to Cano. You're kind of sensing a trend here. Seven innings, ten hits, five earned runs, three extra base hits, four Ks to one walk. Coloma is just not getting the whiffs. And for a guy that had, for a long time this season, the lowest average exit velocity against him, was basically giving up no hard hit balls to any opposing hitters, he's starting to get hit a little harder right now. And that's becoming concerning. 40% hard hit rate against Danny Coulomb in July. Earlier in the season, it was around 20. Again, the lowest of all qualified relievers in baseball. He's thrown more cutters now, and 7 of the 10 hits he's allowed this month have been on the cutter. Not sure what that's about, but he used to be able to just dot the outside of the zone. His edge percentage is now down, the percentage of pitches that end up on the edge of the strike zone. His chase rate is down. He's not throwing enough quality pitches. His percentage of pitches just in the zone is down. He's looking a little tired, too. I mean, he had an injury last year that kept him out for most of the season, so he hasn't had this kind of workload in a while. He looks like he's starting to wear down. I still trust him somewhat in the bullpen. He's going to have a solid role to get lefties, but right now he's not the same pitcher he was early in the year. Brian Baker, what a roller coaster he's been. 379 ERA, 40 innings. Strikeout percentage is up from last year. Walk percentage is also up from last year. His FIPs around the same. His left on base percentage is around the same. He's kind of had a very similar season to what he had in 2022, but he's just that fastball keeps getting hit hard. And the big thing is why he just can't command that changeup. Brian Baker's changeup is one of the best pitches in the Orioles bullpen, just pure stuff wise. It floats, it dips, it gets righties and lefties. He just has such inconsistent command of that pitch that he can't throw it all the time. When that pitch is on, I'll tell you right now, if Brian Baker could consistently command his changeup, he'd be the Orioles' second-best reliever right now behind Bautista. But he can't, and so it's a solid fastball and an okay slider. That's not going to cut it. When the changeup can help him, he's good. When it can't, it concerns me. Now, he does have options. I still think he's one of the Orioles' best eight relief options, so he's going to stay in the big leagues. But he does have some minor league options the other guys don't have. So maybe if the O's acquired a reliever, they could potentially send Baker down just for a couple weeks 
to have him kind of reset, work on that changeup, and buy some time for some of the other guys who are out of options that are currently in the bullpen. Then there's Mike Bauman. 3-4-9 ERA, 49 innings, 14% walk rate. I mean, it's been kind of consistently that high all year. The walks have been a true issue. Stuff's been good. Stuff was amazing in April. Then kind of struggled for a bit. He's been better in July, though. Nine innings, one earned run, seven hits, nine Ks, five walks. Been better in July. I still trust him as a middle relief guy. You know, he has his moments. He has some struggles. He's here to stay in the pen, I think. CNL Perez. We talked to Matt up a little bit. Whew. I mean, yeah. I, I, it's really hard to figure this guy out, right? Like, uh, 4-5-4 ERA, 33 and two-thirds innings. June and July, 42 batters faced, only 10 hits allowed. That's, that's not bad for Sino Perez. Not good. Don't get me wrong, not good. But not bad considering when he was just giving up hit after hit after hit after hit, it seemed, early in the season. Strikeouts are up, but the walks are still an issue. We saw it Wednesday night. I mean, he couldn't throw a strike. Whiffs are getting better. Like, he wasn't getting any early in the season. He's starting to get closer to that rate of last year. The fastball has been back to a good velocity, really, until Wednesday night's outing. I'm not quite ready to give up on Perez because, again, he had the five straight scoreless outings before he went on the IL. Then he was really good in Tampa, had the two great outings, got the save Monday night. You can tell the O's probably aren't just yet ready to DFA Perez considering Brandon Hyde went to him for the save Monday night when Cano and Bautista were unavailable. But obviously, if he has a couple more outings like he did on Wednesday, I mean, Nick Vespi is waiting in the wings to potentially take that spot. But I'm not quite as ready on Perez as I am on Jorge Mateo. But yeah, it's a little concerning. Shintaro Fujinami. I'm good with him in the eighth inning right now. I mean, that six up, six down with the three Ks he had Tuesday night was ridiculous. I'd give him Cano's eighth inning spot for a little bit right now. I would just, I know it can be erratic. It can get frustrating if he's not throwing strikes, but the stuff is electric. Just give it to him. Nobody else is grabbing that spot by the throat. Give it to Fujinami right now. And then there's Cole Irvin, who, yeah, he's the long reliever, but I mean, that was a pretty good looking outing Wednesday night, right? I mean, he came in, O's down 6 4 just to not use another high leverage guy. And I mean, hey, he pitched a scoreless eighth inning. I mean, he was getting whiffs. He was facing mostly lefties, which was you know, a help for him, but he got three whiffs and the velo was a little up. And I mean, the stuff played up out of the pen. That'd be something to monitor. I think he's still for now, just the long relief guy and, you know, an emergency starter if they need it. But if Cole Irvin can be like a two inning relief guy, that's a little better. I'll take it. I need somebody to get some outs down there. So that's kind of your bullpen right now, right? Other options. Austin Voth is coming back soon. We'll see what the O's want to do there. You know, he, he's out of options, so they'd have to put him on the big league roster or DFA him. Do they want to give him a shot? I mean, with all the guys struggling, maybe they do. Maybe they option Baker and, and give Voth a couple of weeks to see if he, you know, is healthy now and can figure it out. Because that elbow issue was apparently bothering him since spring training. Dylan Tate, I've, I've given up on Dylan Tate. I don't think he's pitching this year. Michael Givens, I'd give like a 5% chance to pitch this year. He still hasn't started on rehab again. I think he's done for the year. So you got other options still. I mean, Logan Gillespie, right? You know, he's been kind of an up-down guy. Hasn't been great, but the O's love his change-up fastball combination. Nick Vespi, I think, when the O's pull the plug on CNL Perez, could be that next guy. He's been good as a left-handed reliever. 
Edward Brizardo, I think they still hope can give them something out of the pen. He's still in the 40-man. And then you you got Bruce Zimmerman down there in case you need a different long guy. I think Cole Irvin has pretty much found that role at this point. And you'll get John Means back in September. You don't know what role he's going to be in, but I would think he'll probably start in a relief role before he would potentially move to the starting rotation. And he's done that before. He did it when he first came up in 2019, and, and that could help the O's too. But I do think for this bullpen, they will need to add a guy, right? And I'm going to talk about this tomorrow. I've got the full trade deadline preview episode coming out tomorrow. But they still need to add at least one more reliever. Like, there's no question about it. I think when they do, looking at the pen right now, my first guess would be they would maybe option Brian Baker to give him a little chance to figure out the changeup, give them some time. The other option would be DFA CNL Perez. I think that'd probably be the top two options if they did bring in a reliever, and I think they need to. There's a lot of options. We'll get to them tomorrow in terms of guys they could trade for, but got to get at least one more guy, I would think. But the biggest wild card, I feel like, has got to be DL Hall, right? I mean, Eric Garfield tweeting it out on his account the other day that Hall pitched in a game. On Tuesday in the FCL, Hall went out there, threw an inning, no runs, two strikeouts, a walk. Eric reporting that the velocity was good, you know, mid-90s, good slider, good curveball. I mean, he's been throwing on, you would think, the side fields and the backfields while he's doing the strength training he was doing in Sarasota, but it's good to see him throw. And hopefully, by sometime in August, he can be ready. And with what we saw him do down the stretch in September last year as a left-handed reliever, he could be the wild card, the X factor in this bullpen down the stretch. The stuff is there. I think you got to just face facts, and I've finally come to terms with it. He's a reliever. If he's going to be in the big leagues, he's no longer a starter. He is a reliever. But he could help too. If you can add a guy from the outside, if you can get D.L. Hall in there and pitching well, and you can figure out some of these other guys, get them back on track. You've got something. I know that's a lot of steps, but you've got something. But I think the first step is get another reliever. Second step is make a tough decision on one of these guys, maybe both, and Perez potentially. And then third step is get DL Hall back to the big leagues. That's kind of what we're looking at with the Orioles bullpen right now. Because if you look at the overall numbers, the Orioles bullpen is top 10 in baseball. If you take out Felix Bautista from all those numbers, it's ugly. So they're going to need some help right now. And, and they're playing a lot of close games. Every game seems to be decided by one or two runs. Every single one of this series was. They need some help. But in terms of below the major league level, I was just talking about the FCL where D.L. Hall pitched this week. FCL is going to be getting some new talent, you would think, this week with the draft class all signed up and ready to go. But the O's did go down to the wire with one of their top picks. Coming up next, I'm going to tell you who they finally signed just before Tuesday's deadline and kind of put a bow on the draft class, plus a little bit of a word on Gunnar Henderson and his back injury. So back here to finish off the pod with a little bit of Orioles news and notes here after they drop two out of three to the Phillies. Off day today and then take on the Yankees starting tomorrow at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Let's start with the draft. The Orioles on Thursday, it was the draft signing deadline. It was 5 p.m. on Thursday 
and they did sign two more players in their class. The first they signed was Michael Ferret, the 14th round right-handed pitcher that the Orioles took out of junior college. They signed him for $450,000, $300,000 of which counted towards their bonus pool money. Juco guy who was originally committed to ECU, a great baseball program out of high school, decided to go Juco instead so he could get drafted after one year. Mid-90s fastball, good curveball, good changeup. Really interesting prospect there, and I love that the O's were able to sign him. But the one that went down to the wire was Jackson Baumeister, right? We had pretty much learned that Q. Ray Lott wasn't going to sign, 15th rounder out of high school outfielder. Learned that Colin Ritchie, 19th rounder infielder out of high school, wasn't going to sign. And 18th round right-handed pitcher out of Texas, Tanner Witt, wasn't going to sign. So it was basically down to, can you get Baumeister? Or if you don't, can you throw that money at either Witt or Ritchie and get them to sign instead? Because they were kind of the emergency backup plan picks at the end of the draft. And it came down to about 4.30 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday with the deadline at 5 before it was, was reported. But the Orioles did agree to terms signing Michael Elias' highest draft pick since taken over in terms of a pitcher since taken over as Orioles GM. Jackson Baumeister, who the Orioles took 63rd overall in the competitive balance B round, right-handed pitcher out of Florida State, signed for $1.6 million, a little bit over slot with that deal as the Orioles knew they had to get, and they were just kind of, I'm sure, doing the physical and wrapping up that final overslot number for the right-hander. But he's got good stuff, high 90s fastball, plays up in the zone, really, really devastating breaking stuff with a changeup that he's working on, and the O's will work on it with him. But I'm just glad they got the deal done. Remember last year, they were not able to sign Nolan McLean, who was a pitcher who they drafted in the third round. Now they did get a compensation pick, and they were able to throw money at Carter Young late in the draft instead but it's much better to get the better player. Baumeister was the better player, and they were able to wrap him up and get him here to Baltimore. So again, they ended up signing 19 of their 22 picks, which is pretty good because it seemed like those last three they didn't sign were the emergency backup plans in case a top guy like Baumeister did not sign with the Orioles. And then last thing to get to, we did get some good news on Gunnar Henderson on Wednesday. Now, he was unavailable, not in the lineup, but... Hyde said it's going to be day-to-day, and Henderson did say, I'm feeling much better today. He said he felt like he did it more so in the field, tweaked the back, the lower back stiffness, than actually when he was running down to first on Tuesday night. But Gunner did say on Wednesday he expects to play in Friday's game against the Yankees. Really good time for the Orioles to have the off day today, Thursday, give Gunner another rest, and then hopefully we'll see him back in the lineup, mashing the Yankees as he did in the Bronx a couple weeks ago, back in the O's lineup on Friday night. But that'll do it for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Got one more episode for this week. Trade deadline preview. You won't want to miss it tomorrow. We're going through the Orioles' needs position-wise. We're going through the players who have been rumored that the O's have been checking in on and the guys who are out there and would make sense. And then I'm going to make my official trade deadline prediction. The two trades down to the players we're getting and sending away to make that official prediction on tomorrow's episode. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.